morning, family. I'm glad you're here. And uh, for those watching online, I'm glad you're watching. And this is a great day to celebrate Jesus. You know, when we gather on Sunday, you know the reason the early church gathered on Sunday? It was a celebration of the resurrection. Jesus rose on Sunday. And so every Sunday is, in fact, a celebration of the, the truth that has set us free. Jesus rose from the dead. And we get a chance to do that today. Today, I want to delve into a portion of scripture that for many of you, well, it's foundational. Um, foundational in this way. Um, when I was a, a, a young believer, um, I had a really good teacher, Bible teacher, that gave me a list of scriptures. And this was one of the first scriptures I was asked to memorize. And of course, we do that too in our, our foundation classes. We encourage people to memorize scripture. And this is one of those scriptures that we give to new believers to, to memorize. And, and hopefully you got to memorize that too as a young believer. If not, well, this today is a good chance for you to get started because this scripture, our portion of scripture, two verses, is, um, is really a core portion of scripture. Some have said it's one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. And of course, it's hard to define that, isn't it? The Bible is so filled with great scriptures and truth throughout the Bible. Is, it is truth. So <clears throat> I want to take you to it. And, it's, and I, I've just titled it Conformed or Transformed. And that should tell you kind of where we're going for some of you. Conformed or Transformed. And it's, it's really, um, this portion of scripture is so applicable. And the reason I chose it today is, of course, last week when we, I came back for the first time after my COVID uh, uh, joys. And, uh, yeah. and, and, uh, and, and we, uh, we started on a, a framework. I want to encourage you, by the way, if you weren't here last week or weren't able to watch it, that you, uh, you try to, to get to it. If you just go to our website, you can, uh, watch, the, uh, you can watch the sermon from last week and, or listen to it. Um, but I, I think there's something foundational for us that we're going to work through over the next couple months in that. So anyhow, we're in uh, Romans chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. And in verse number one. And, uh, and it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. In other words, this is something, you know, he's... When you say, when he would say, I beseech you, he's saying, this is something important. I want you to grab this. I want you to do this. I hope you get this. Don't, don't just kind of slough this off. I want you to pay attention to what I'm giving you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And so he's saying, he's saying that God's mercy will help you in this. In fact, there's two ways of looking at it. God's mercies will help you in it, and not just by the mercy of God, but because of the mercies of God. The mercies of God. One of the things that Paul does in all of his epistles is he starts off by telling you what God does, what God did. So he'll... He'll start off by telling you all these wonderful things that God has done for us. And then he usually goes from there and tells us now, since God has done all these things, we ought to do these. We ought to act in this way. We ought to live out our life because God did this for us. And that is the pattern of Scripture. It is, in fact, the reason and way in which we follow after Christ. We don't serve the Lord because we want to get something from God. We serve him because he's already given us stuff, you know? We serve him not to be right with him. We serve him because he's already made us right with him. And when you think about the wonderful mercies of God, especially even in this book, the book of Romans, that he started telling us about, he told us that, that 
we've been justified from the guilt and penalty of sin. He's told us that we are confident in God's continued faithfulness. He told us we've been adopted in Jesus and we have identification in Christ. He tells us that we're confident that there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God. He told us that that there's there's a coming glory that we can be confident in and the assurance of standing in in, 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 uh, before God as his elect, as his saved. We, we've been told that there is a promise that's been held for us. And uh, even in affliction, there is, a, there is victory that we're more than overcomers. He told us that we're, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And he told us that we've been placed under God's grace, not law. I mean, and, and we could keep going. All these things are because of God's mercies for us. And because of the mercy of God, that allows us then to, to respond to God in the way that he wants us to respond. And that's what he's asking. See, because of God's mercies and by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, a living sacrifice, that would have been odd, especially to the Jews who would be listening, right? A living sacrifice, because all sacrifices were dead sacrifices, right? Every sacrifice was killed for the purpose of the sacrifice, at least the animal sacrifices. But God is not interested in dead animals. He's not interested in in animal sacrifices. He never was, it never was about God's interest, that God's uh, priority. It was only for a covering for the people. What God was always interested and has always been interested is in us. He's interested in you and me. He's interested in our lives. And so he calls and he says to us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. We bring it before God, not a dead sacrifice, but what does that mean? It means we live for him. We live for God. He is Lord. You know, we call him Lord. You know, in fact, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lordship, Jesus is Lord. We say that right at the beginning. I'm not sure that we live it out, though, from the beginning. I think for many of us, there's a process of learning what it means to Jesus to be Lord. I think we start off with Jesus as Savior. We'll call him Lord. He really is Lord. He always will be Lord. He always has been Lord. But I'm not sure that we live as if he's Lord. Some, he said, in fact, there'll be a day where there'll be those who said, you should call me Lord, Lord, but, but they, he'll say, I never knew you. They, they really never got to the place where they saw Jesus as Lord. And so he is saying to us that we're supposed to live out our life as he is Lord. And we, we give our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. And it says, holy, acceptable to God. Holy, that means, well, holy is not this kind of religious idea that somebody, you know, somebody's holy that has reached a certain level of, you know, of life. And and, in fact, those are the people sometimes we then, we call them saints. You know, they've reached this level. Well, that's not biblical. The fact is we're all saints. And we've all been called to to be holy before God. And holy is separated unto God. Something that's holy is put aside for God. So you and I are to be put aside for God. That he's first, that he's everything in our life. And you never get to experience all that God dreams for you until you've made that decision. And you begin that process of setting your your life aside unto God. It's acceptable to God. It's wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, and, and it, th- this, is the, this is not extraordinary. We look at people that seem like they have sold out to God, and we think, man, what an extraordinary life. What an extraordinary life. I was listening to um, the, the life bio- 
story of, uh, of Josh McDowell. I had men made mention of his son. His son did an interview with him. I never knew this about Josh because he's always been kind of this intellectual, um, you know, he's written 150 books. But the guy has been like thrown in prison like three or four times in different countries because he would go and he would go to the places where it was, you know, against the law to preach the gospel. And he, in fact, he was set up um, by, by some Marxists that, in fact, tried to kill him in several occasions. And he has these incredible stories. And you listen to this life and you go, man, that guy, he gave, he, he just has lived such a radical life. And I think Jesus would say, no, it's normal. It's normal. That, that, that's that's some kind of what I expect, that kind of life. Not to cause us to live in guilt or shame, but for us to recognize that there's more to life and living for Jesus than maybe we're actually experiencing in our life. That maybe we're short, we're, we're, maybe we're cutting ourselves short on what could be if we were a little bit more open to what the writer is saying here, that we give our lives as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable. Now, some of your translations say spiritual worship, which is true too. It is our way of worshiping God. Our giving our lives to Jesus is a way in which we worship God. Now, we had some worship, and it was wonderful as we lifted our voices to the Lord. But that is not... That, that form of worship, though valuable to God, it is not the highest level of worship. The highest level of worship is our lives, not our singing, not our voice. It's our lives and how we live out our lives before the living God. Now, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, be conformed. Everybody say conformed. Conformed. That means to be pressed in. Pressed into this world, you know, it, it, it being pressed into this world. Not, not conformed. We're to be transformed, but not conformed. We should be nonconformists, every one of us. There should be, in any believer, we, let me tell you what we all need, a little bit of rebellion. We need a little bit of rebellion. We, we need something in us that says, I'm just not going down that road just because everybody else is. I don't need to follow anybody. Nobody's going to tell me how to think. Nobody's going to tell me how I'm, I, I, I need to act. I'm not. I, they, there's something in me. I'm, I'm a child of the 70s and a little bit of the 60s. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, uh, my generation was, that was, nonconformist. Everything was rebel. We were counterculture. This generation is culture. It's not counterculture. It runs with the culture. And it's and 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 the, the it's it's all streaming down the same road, and 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 Christians need to be the ones swimming upstream. We need to be the ones going the other direction, not just because we want to be rebellious, but because we want to live according to God's word and the truth of God. We want to live not not blindly in conforming. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. Now this world, the idea is the world system. It is not the planet Earth when he say, is using that. He's saying, don't be conformed to this world system that is going on. And because this world system, well, the, the word today, the operative word today that you've all heard our words today, is the idea of worldview. You heard that? You've heard of that? Your worldview? Um, the, the worldview is what, the way you view the world through your eyes. The, 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 the process, the things you believe that you already have established in your thinking, that that's how you view the world. Like, for instance, a very simple one is an optimist and a pessimist, right? An optimist, pessimist. They can have the same thing happen to them, and the optimist will view it one way, the pessimist will view it another. Got that? That's pretty easy to see. In the world view, there, there are two as well. There's two. There is, there is what some call the Christian worldview, 
I, I don't use that term anymore. And the reason I don't is because there are people who call themselves Christian, but they're not, they, they've, they've gone away. They've, they've gone down the road away from the scriptures. And so they're, they're progressive Christians. When you hear that, that means probably they don't believe the Bible be inspired word of God. And they've gone down this road. Um, and they use that term Christian worldview. So I, I've kind of thrown that out and I've replaced it with biblical worldview. I believe that there is a biblical worldview. We hold to the scriptures and, the, and there are people who view the world through the lens of what they believe and know that the Bible tells them. And then there is the non-biblical worldview, and that's everything else. We could call it the secular worldview, or we could call it the world worldview. And it's the worldview that is, well, if, if you try to nail it down, it's kind of hard because it's constantly in flux. It has different things that it believes at different times. But the biblical worldview is, is pretty established, and we know what that worldview is, and we have certain things. And the way we view the world, if you view the world through the biblical worldview, is as you're viewing the world through that, you are making decisions and you are evaluating the world, and I'm not saying judging, but evaluating the world through the lens of the scriptures themselves. Uh, here's a clear one, probably an easy one. A, a Christian, a believer, a biblical worldview, I should call it, believes that there is not only the God who created the universe and runs the universe, but also believes that there is a spiritual entity, very powerful, that, that is in this world that is actually has a spiritual element and power that is also affecting the direction and things that are going on in this world. We believe that the devil is real that he is a person. He's not made up. The Bible is very clear about that, who he is, that there are, in fact, entities called demons. They're fallen angels that have entered into this world and that, that there is, in fact, a strategy, a plan, a working. I, I really discovered this on a personal level not long after I became a Christian. I had encountered on two occasions, which I'd never done in my whole life, I had encountered two people who were, in fact, demonized. And I mean, it was like the exorcist kind of thing. It was, and, and, you, and I could see evil in a way I'd never even thought it existed. Some of you have had experiences, maybe not that way, but in other ways where you have seen the face of evil. You've seen it in action. And you know it's not just kind of an idea. It's a real entity that there really are. And, and so as, if a Christian knows and believes that because that's what the word says, then as we view the world, we're aware of that element that is going on. Talk about that a little bit more in, in a few minutes. But, but you, you view the world knowing that is an existence that is happening and that there is, in fact, some, sometimes there's, there's things that are going on that are not explained any other way. And we see that in Scripture. That's the difference. That, and, and it, you know, it comes out in so many different ways. And, of course, you like trying to explain it completely. But a Christian, for instance, believes in absolute truth. We believe absolute moral truth exists, you see. The, the secular worldview or the worldly worldview, the non-biblical worldview, doesn't always, in fact, people will say, I don't believe there is any moral absolutes. In fact, they'll say it this way. There is absolutely no moral absolutes. There is absolutely no absolutes at all. Well, that is kind of a contradiction, right? But the point is, a, a Christian knows and sees those and, and sees that there are certain things that are literally right and literally wrong. They're not like gray, they really are. The, 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 the Christian worldview is, sees the Bible is totally accurate in all its principles, all of its teachings, understands that. It is true, inerrant and in, inspired. Uh, the Christian believes uh, that 
that Satan is considered to be a real being of force, not a mere symbolic idea. That they believe that a person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good and do good works. No matter how hard a person tries, they'll never make it past the threshold that God has established. That is, that is his righteousness. It's only through Christ and the work that he did, the sacrifice that he made. The Christian believes um, that Jesus lived a sinless life on earth and that we believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. And we believe, well, we believe that we've not met anyone on this planet that God hasn't died for and loved. So we view the world through that. We view the world through that truth. Are you with me? Okay, so why should we not be conformed? Could we ask that question? Yes. What is, what is the world in that sense? It's, it's a system. Let, let me tell you from the Bible why we need to not be conformed to this world. And uh, I think you'll, you'll, on some of these you'll go, yeah, I, I kind of knew that already. The first one is this. It's under the rulership of Satan. Look what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, some, many translations say world because of the same Greek word, the God of this world has blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, this scripture is telling us that there is another God, but it's not the big G God. There's only one God who created the universe. This God stole human, stole our, our rightful place of rulership. God had given Adam and Eve authority over the creation of on earth, he had given it to them, and they willfully handed it over to the devil. Genesis chapter 3. They, they gave it over. When they submitted to the will of the devil, they handed over that authority that was given to them to him. And he became the God, little g God of this world. So he has an authority on this planet. It will be, he will, in fact, be kicked out of heaven. He, have, he has access now. He'll be kicked out at some point soon. You know, the Bible says that, 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 that he will be crushed and, uh, and his authority and eventually, of course, be cast into, um, into the abyss. But, but the point right now is that he and his kingdom is still on the earth. And this is what it said. Look, look at what it says right here. It says... That, the, that he has blinded the eyes. He's blinded those who, who do not believe. So there has been a, both a system, a worldly system, and direct access where he has literally blinded the, the eyes, of that, uh, the spiritual eyes of people so they cannot believe. Now this is what a, a Bible worldview does for you. When you look out, you look at people. They're people that God loves. They're people that Jesus has died for. And they're people, many of them, who the devil has blinded their eyes spiritually so that they cannot believe. And the answer to that is the gospel. The gospel opens the eyes. So as you pray for them and as you share the good news, all of a sudden, Eyes that are blind see. And that's what, the, that's what a biblical worldview does for you. It helps you see the world as it really is. Not as you would want it to be or as even others say it is, but as it truly is. Secondly, look at the, the worldview. This is why you don't want to be conformed. It's foolish. It's all wrong. 
It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 31, for, for the form of this world is passing away. I, I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. God, God looks at it. I, I, I can just see God just shaking his head. You know, our, our great minds, we put together and we come up with solutions and God just shakes his head. Shakes his head. It's foolishness. We, we, we attempt so much and we fail so much. We're so, we, we haven't gotten it right yet. We keep trying, right? And, but, and, and there's kind of this idea that if we kind of could just all get along. Let me tell you the problem. This, here's the foolishness. Here's the foolishness. There is, there is a idea that, that, um, that if we could tweak things a little, you know, let, let's just use one element. Let's use the Marxist concept. A capitalist has its problems too, but capitalism. But, but the Marxist con- concept, it's kind of like we've tried that. Right, like 25 million, well, 50 million people died to start it off. In the Soviet Union, 25 million people killed. They take over, and people are all excited. We're going to do it, and we're going to all be equal. We're going to all be one. It'll be awesome. Oh, you know, and, we've, they, and my, their minds were convinced it is going to work. And then they sp- spend 70 years in oppression. And they couldn't wait to get out of it. It was going to be so wonderful. So what do we have now? Well, we have a whole group of people going, you know what? If we could tweak it a little bit, it'll work. It'll work. And, and, that's the, and, and I think God just shakes his head. You, you know what a, a biblical worldview knows? Human beings... The Bible says it this way. There is none righteous, no, not one. It, it says it this way. That all have sinned. That there is a sin nature at the heart, at the, at the core of every human being is selfishness. Now, I, I, I'm sorry. I know some of you might be offended by that. Say, I'm not selfish. Oh, I'm glad you're really moving forward. Moving forward. But you didn't all start that way. I tell the story about our first daughter, my second daughter, um, right off. I, when we, we had Carolyn, she was two, two years old when Cindy was born. And the rest of my kids, I had three more, they weren't any better. <laughs> but just telling you. So we bring Cindy home from the hospital, all excited to show our, our daughter her new sister. And as we bring her in and put her in, in, the, in the crib, she comes over, looks at it, runs to her bedroom, grabs her toys, an armful, comes back, and we think, how sweet she wants to give her toys. She looks in and she goes, mine. <laughs> mine. I didn't teach her that. Carol didn't teach her that. You have that. I have that. We have that. And, and given enough power, we use it. And any group of people, this is what God knows. This is what a biblical worldview knows. You can't give a group of people in power. You can't give them ultimate power. You can't give them that kind of authority. They will oppress you. They will take from you. They will be selfish in their endeavors. They will fight for power. It is consistent. I, and by the way, there is no political concept. I, I, I think capitalism has freed more people and given more wealth to more people. But it's, it's got its corruption too. Why? Because human nature. Human nature. And... And so, what does a Christian do? A Christian looks through that lens. A biblical, a, a Bible worldview is a b- lens that we look through that lens. We see the world differently. 
that it, it's not going to last. This is why you need, need to push back on it. It's not going to last. 1 Corinthians 7.31 says, for the, for the form of this world is passing away. It's going to be gone. In fact, it's going to be gone sooner than you think. It's happening, folks. We're moving that direction. It's not of the Father. I want you to see in 1 John uh, chapter 2, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world system, if you look for, and he kind of explains this a little bit. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world's all into that. It's all okay with that. It has no problem with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. No, no problem. And he says, it is not of the Father. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, it's, it's going. But he who does the will of God abides for how long? Forever. 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 See, a Bible worldview understands this life is not all. In fact, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. Listen, folks, you're on vacation this is not your home. You're on vacation and you're passing through. When you go on vacation, do you buy the hotel that you're staying at? Huh? You don't. Why? You don't, you don't fully settle in. And as believers, we, I'm, I'm glad I, you know, have a place to live and all of those kind of things. But I, I understand that this is temporary. It's temporary. You don't even need a biblical worldview to know this is temporary. What you need is a biblical worldview to know that you are going to live beyond it forever. You see, you understand that principle. <clears throat> you, can be a, you can be a Christian and be taken in by a, a worldview. You can be taken in by the world. You can be compromised. You can be, you can be a Christian and you can conform. It's a constant pressure around us. <clears throat> it's only those who are constantly in God's word, in the truth, in the biblical, con that, that, that pushes back against it. Let me tell you, the, there's a reason why there are so many people that look to the world and say, oh, it's wonderful, it's getting better. That there, there, there's a reason why, because some of it is very appealing. It's true. That that's that's why. There's a scripture here about Tim, Paul, Paul the apostle. It was ready, he was ready to go be with Jesus. It's his last epistle. He's writing. He knows his time is short. They're going to kill him. He's in prison. He's writing to Timothy, and he writes about at the end of the book. He writes about. These people, some of these people that were with him. And he mentions this in, in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, for Demas has forsaken me, look at this, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Now, I, Demas had something in him. What, what caused Demas to leave? Here he's with the Apostle Paul. He's seen miracles. He's, he's heard the word of God. This is an amazing man of God. And he leaves it for the world. Something was in him. Something he never dealt with. Something of the world that was pulling at him. You know, and, and whatever that was, it wasn't worth it. Now, he had left this present world. He had, I mean, he had left, he, um, he had, he had uh, forsaken uh, Paul and and grabbed hold of the this present world it says. And then here's the last one why we need to just say no to the world and that is this recogni recogni recognition of the will of God. See notice it says uh, in our scripture be transformed by the renewing of your mind that. Everybody say that. That. So this is the reason why 
We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, not conformed to this world. And here's the reason. That you may prove, or by testing you may know, is another way you can say it. In other words, or by testing you can find the value of, the, of this thing. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God? He's saying this. Transformation, renewing of your mind helps you understand the will of God. If you're a Christian, you want to know what God's will is. You want it. You want to know that all the time. When I first got saved, my mind was, God, give me. And my prayers were, God, help me with this. Please give me this. You know, I was all excited. God's going to make me happy and give me all cool things. And then you grow and you start to see God as Lord. And then you, your prayers change. And you start praying this prayer. Lord, please direct me. Show me your will. What do you want me to do? You start asking God that prayer. That, th that's the prayer. Let me ask you, have you been asking, have, is that your prayer? Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? No, I, I'm not talking about just generally. I'm talking about, don't you want to know what God wants to do in your life today? Don't you want that? Of course you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want that. And let me, and, and he says this, listen, this is why you need to get away from the world. Because the closer you get to the world, the less you hear God's voice. Can I say that again? The closer, the closer you get to the world, the closer you cuddle up to the world, the more you allow the world view and world thinking into your mind, the less you can hear God speak to you. The less you'll be able to understand his will for your life. So if you're going, I just can't, you know, I don't know what God wants. Maybe it's because you've cuddled up to the world too much. And there's too much of the world in you. And you need to have your mind, your heart transformed, as the scripture says. Now, the, the word transform means, the, the Greek word is metamorphoso. And you can tell probably where, that, where the English word comes from that. The metamorphosis. It's a, this, it's a total transformation. He says, so... Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Have this total transformation. Now, how do you do that? Well, let me read a scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what is he saying? He's saying, as we're beholding God's glory, we're being transformed. Now, there's two ways you, 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 that, that happens. One, you spend time with God. We did this already. This, this morning, you showed up. We had worship. If you fo if during that worship time, you really were focusing on God, if you were really singing and worshiping him and expressing your heart to him, you connected. That glory is transforming. It does something in it, you, doesn't it? There's a little bit of a change that starts to happen as you're singing the words and enjoying that. But also, as you open up God's word, it is also the way in which transformation happens. As you're reading God's word and you see the glory of God through his word, there's a transformation that is happening. And what happens is, at the more you get the truth, the more that the lie and the deception starts to diminish, starts to get out of your system and all of that. And he says, it's like a mirror. Now, in a mirror, have, have you ever looked in the mirror and went, oh. <clears throat> Anybody? I'm like, oh, whoa. I don't, I don't want to see that <laughs> for a while. <clears throat> I... Uh, the other day, I have, I, I, have, my head, my hair. Um, every barber says you have a lot of calyx. In other words, my hair is in total rebellion, total, total rebellion. Um, it, it, it will. When I get up, I, I have to shower and I have to, I have to, I have to glue it down. It just, it just won't. It's just the way it is. It just is, you know. So I never go anywhere, you know, without first of all doing that or putting on a hat. So if you see me with a hat, you know I'm not always. Sometimes I like wearing hats, but so 
The other day, I had to go get something early in the morning at the supermarket. And I jumped in, grabbed my hat, got in, went into the supermarket. And uh, I did notice that people were staring at me. And so I, I got through, and, I, and I'm trying to think. And I get in, open up the door of my car, and there my hat was sitting on the, <laughs> sitting. <laughs> it, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> when you look in a mirror, the value of the mirror. I mean, it's wonderful if you look and go like fawns, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, that's not the case. You look in the mirror to try to fix things up a little bit, right? And we look in the mirror of God's word. See, when you open God's word, it's like a mirror. It shows his holiness and righteousness. It shows us, you know, it shows us some of the things that we need to, to work on, to fix, to see God, to pray about. It shows us those things, you know, and it tells us things like, you know, love not only your neighbor, but love your enemy. And you look at that and go, oh man, I got a big dark spot over my eye, you know? I got, I got, I got some things to clean up. I've got, you know, I got snot coming out of my nose. Really, it's bad. I need Jesus to clean me up. And that's what happens when you go through God's word. You, 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 you take God's word like that and and what happens is it starts to transform you and change you. And it says that we're to renew our mind. We're to think properly. And so, listen, I'm almost done. But I just want to, I, I, let me just finish this. We, we hold on with me on this. I know I'm a little over. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and his word, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I argue with things. I, I, I'll argue with my TV. I've argued, I'll, I'll, I'll argue, my kids know this, I've ruined so many movies and shows, because something will come up, and it will be the, a worldview, it'll be a world thing, you know, when my kids are younger, now they ignore me, but, you know, they're all grown up, they do, actually, they do this to their kids now, they'll be looking at something, go, man, that's, are you kidding me, they're doing that, that's, that's, that's sin. That's wrong. I, I, that, that really bothers me. You know, and they're like all into it and it's like, oh, dad. That's the way it was. Oh, dad. You know what I was doing? I was exposing deception and lie. Because it's all over the place. It's all over the place. It's an idea that, that sin is fine and you never need to deal with it. It needs to be accepted. Here's another thing. It's overblown. Here's one thing. In fact, a study was done of high schoolers today. One of their greatest fears is to be called judgmental. One of their greatest fears. And this is what judgmental means, that you disagree with something or someone. See, it's got a broader view. The Bible says we're to judge all things. Not to be judgmental, but to judge all things. That means we evaluate, we clearly evaluate, we look at things, and what is wrong is called wrong, both in our heart and when needed to others, when, when needed in proper place, with wisdom and love, always. But we live in a world that won't judge anything anymore. And we buy into that. What a horrible thing to live out our lives without ever making any kind of evaluation. If it's sin, it's sin. It needs to be called out. Sin is incredibly destructive. Oh, we don't know. The people we destroy with sin. 
the families that we destroy, the children that have been destroyed because of unrepentant sin. We all sin, but we don't understand. It, <clears throat> so we cast down arguments, and then, then I just want to say this. There's future transformation. This is all on in the inside, right? This is all on in the inside. I've been being transformed. I've been working on it. I've been partnering with God. God has been working on me. All of this transformation is going on, but it hasn't done anything to my body. You know? The body is not really transformed. Don't say anything. Keep your... It's, it's not... It's, not transformed. But Philippians 3.20 says it will be. It will be. That is coming. That, that transformation will come. And I'll have the same kind of body that Jesus has. Wow. Well, and, and I, I kind of know from the scriptures some of the things Jesus could do. That sounds, listen, a word from my generation, that sounds cool. Right? I remember when my generation, and we said it was cool, and people went, what's that Cool. the only thing that came good out of my generation. Well, shall we pray? We, we, we have communion, but I'm going to dismiss. And those of you who want to stay for communion, the ushers are ready, they're going to pass it out. But if you need to go, please feel free to do that. It's not a problem. We're just glad you came. And, uh, but I want to pray because I believe there are some here right now, both in this building and watching online, that you've got one foot in. You just got, you got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. That's the way you're living your life. And, and it won't work. If you got one foot in the world, eventually you'll have both feet in. You have to make a decision. And the only decision, the only eternal decision, the only right decision is to get both feet in the kingdom and just push away the world and its system and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Life is in you. It's in you, God. And I pray, Lord, whoever. In fact, Lord, Lord, there's someone out there that has never given their life to you. And right now, I just say to you, invite Jesus to be your Savior. Right now, invite him. Believe that he died for your sins. He was buried and conquered death. Because he did. He did that for you. Ask him to cleanse your soul from all your sin. Because you've sinned. We all have. And your sin has separated you. It's grievous to God. But he'll forgive you every single one. Every sin. Nothing is beyond the power of his blood to cleanse you. Just say, Jesus, please cleanse my soul. He'll hear you. He'll come into your life. Invite his Holy Spirit. Lord, come in. Bless. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those of you who are staying, if you, the ushers will be handing out the communion. And, uh, and let's just worship, okay, in the meantime as they're doing that.
On the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread. Let me stop there. When Jesus died on the cross, I just feel like I need to say this. Some of you are not sure of God's love. And and even Christians at times doubt, different than unbelief, but doubt. You go through something, you go, man, does God really love me? When Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't just dying for the world, he was dying for you and me. You specifically. He took your sins on the cross. I mean, the cross is horrendous. It's a horrible way to die. But that wasn't the thing that bothered him the most. Not even close. He took your sins. And the Father turned his, his head, the scripture says, as he cried out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he went through should settle forever, forever for you, that God loves you. He loves you. And, and he purchased, he purchased you for eternity so that you could be with him. That was the reason. He didn't just die for you so that some kind of, kind of a benevolent kind of kindness, okay, they get to live forever. No, he died for you so that you could be with him. Don't let the devil lie to you about God's love for you ever again. Every month we do this, we have communion. The reason we do, Jesus asked us to. It brings us back to the cross. It brings us back to the place where we see God's love in action. So we, today, Today, do what he said on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Would you receive that? And then he took the cup, and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant of my blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, show the Lord's death until he comes. He's coming back, folks. Receive. Thank you, Jesus.
time church lift your voice sing it out good all the time. God bless you, church. We'll see you Wednesday for Bible study. Be blessed. God.